and welcome to the Midwest Football Podcast, episode 22. This means that finally, after a spring and summer full of episodes, we have real NFL football results to talk about. And will we ever? We will analyze what happened and what's to come for all the NFL teams in the upper Midwest. That's the Bears, Bengals, Browns, Colts, Lions, Packers, Steelers, and Vikings. I'm Joe Smith coming to you on Tuesday, September 12th. Yep, we're back on our normal recording schedule. And of course, I'm right here in the hometown of the talk of the NFL, Detroit, Michigan, where we are restoring the roar with these brand new Lions. Here's my friend and broadcast partner, a nowhere near as happy but much warmer Chicago native coming from Orlando, Florida. This is Brian Rosenquist. Good afternoon, Midwestlanders and friends, or evening or morning, whenever you're listening to this. Uh, this is the uh, third week in a row, or third podcast in a row, I should say, where I'm broadcasting from a different location. I'm finally in my house in Orlando. I'm not in a hotel like I was last time. Um, so it's very exciting. Somber note, one of the pod dogs had surgery yesterday. She's doing fine. She's living. Ne- she's hanging out next to me. Remy, say hi. She just glared at me saying, leave me alone, but she's resting comfortably. And um, so uh, that was, you know, so we're ready to rock. Let's talk some football, shall we? Absolutely. We got a great show coming up. If you like the show, help our podcast grow by giving us a five-star review, commenting, contacting us, or recommending our show to your friends. Our email is midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com. Send your love, your hate, or whatever ideas are on your mind right there to that address midwest football podcast at gmail.com and who knows you might end up on the show that being said in this episode we'll deep dive last week's games we will discuss all the major injuries to two stars with midwest ties we'll talk about how four teams in the nfl learned why the preseason exists but first and i know this isn't an nfl story but it's such a big midwest football story we have to cover it Michigan State head football coach Mel Tucker is suspended without pay indefinitely for alleged Title IX violations. Look, we are going to discuss this story in the most PG way that we can, but this segment may contain some material that is not appropriate to the youngest listeners. A lot of allegedlies. Yes. Specifically, (laughs) Specifically, Tucker is accused of pleasuring himself over the phone without the consent of the woman he was talking to. And that woman was apparently um, hired to, um, what, what was her title? It was the anti-harassment uh, person that was hired by the team, I think, or the school. <laughs> and this was somebody like, that Mel Tucker brought in. And oh, he brought her in. Okay. A whole bunch of uh, schools just, so she didn't actually work for the university exactly, okay. but she gives these talks. Like a consultant. About, or, yeah, okay. exactly. For wh- how to avoid Title IX violations, what you should and should not be doing with women. And <laughs> and just, you know, for the players so that they can educate themselves and try and stay out of trouble. So just a quick aside before we dive too much into this story, I do want to point out that not only is Mel Tucker the head coach of the Michigan State Spartan football team, uh, he has a lot of other ties in the Midwest. I mean, going back 20 years ago, he was a defensive backs coach on the Ohio State University's national title team under uh, Jim Tressel. He got promoted to the defensive coordinator the next year where the defense didn't do quite so good. Then he left for Cleveland where he kind of tore down their defense. And then I believe he was with Jacksonville for a little bit, not a Midwest thing. 
Well, then he became the Bears head, uh, defensive coordinator under um, uh, Mark Trussman, the CFL coach, where the Bears were number one, one, and two the three previous years under Rod Marinelli. And he immediately tore down that defense from number one to number 31 and then number 32 in his two seasons as the defensive coordinator for Chicago. He got a nice career rehab on the Nick Saban coaching staff where I think he won another national title as a defensive backs coach or defensive coordinator. And he has been promoted up where he had a mediocre season in Colorado, I believe. He was like 500. He got the Michigan State head coaching job where uh, Kenneth Walker – uh, propelled him to uh, beating Michigan in a uh, single-handedly scoring six touchdowns, etc. Um, as you can tell, I'm saying this very monotone, but he has traumatized a couple of my teams by not being a great X's and O's defensive coach. I'm not exactly sure what his appeal was, but... Um, he this absolutely is... can sell himself. Yeah, he, he must he be. Has, I mean, he has a personality that can light up a room. And fire you up. I was going to say, I feel like if I was in a room with him, I would overlook his history as a coach and just be like, this guy's the best. You know, it's got to be like a Tom Cruisean type stare because his track record's not great. I mean, the reason why I was able to rattle that off all off of memory, because when the Bears let him go, I was so traumatized. I looked into his history to figure out why he was the Bears hired him in the first place. And even like his four years in Jacksonville, they had one winning one season with a defense that wasn't bottom five. And it's, it's amazing. Um, me and uh, my buddies, we have a fantasy football league where we uh, name uh, divisions after people who fell upwards, like the Lane Kiffin. We actually have a Lane Kiffin award for the, uh, the guy who scores the least amount of points in a victory. And we congratulate him for falling upwards. Uh, Matt Patricia is one of our guys. I think, I don't remember if Mel Tucker is or not, but He's on the short list that could be one of our divisions named after. So, and we don't call this, a, we don't knock this. This is a uh, something to strive for. You don't have to be good. You just have to get paid, you know? So <laughs> I think that everybody who fails upwards is an inspiration to me after I get over bitter, being bitter that I'm not failing upwards to that degree. <laughs> okay. On the not football side, the alleged violations took place with uh, Mel, Coach Mel Tucker and professional sexual assault awareness speaker, Brenda Tracy. Mm. I want to point out that we are not going to get into the details of the allegation or what each person is saying because both of us firmly believe that in this kind of thing, you let the investigation play out. Everybody's trying to win the PR battle right now, which is normal. And we are... From there, trying to uh, we hope that throughout the investigative process that hard facts will turn up, which will corroborate some or all of somebody's story. And then we'll start to actually know things and we can make intelligent decisions or Michigan State can at least from that point that uh, the formal hearing is going to take place in early October, which is Michigan State's bye week. Mel Tucker is suspended indefinitely without pay until then, for sure. I'm actually surprised it's without pay with uh, do they know more than we do? Because that seems like a punishment in its own right. I mean, usually it's like 
go sit aside while we sort this out out of public eye. But usually it's not a loss of pay. I don't think so, at least until they've proven it. But I guess you don't have to be proven guilty. It's not the courts of law that it's a, it, not the court of law. It's a mis- personal misconduct violation, probably in this contract. Correct. Okay. Um, this would be a Title IX violation, mm-hmm. which is uh, a very serious federal law, but not necessarily a criminal proceeding. Unless she's going to try and say that it was also sexual harassment. I have absolutely no idea whatsoever if criminal charges have been filed. I want to say no or because I would have heard of them. But mm. we, even in Michigan, really didn't hear a whole lot about this until basically this weekend when it kind of dropped out of nowhere. Yeah, it dropped like but, Saturday night or Friday or Sunday night or something. Yeah, yeah. But what actually happened is the complaint was lodged all the way back in December of 22 uh, the investigation started ramping up over the summer, and they just did a really good job of keeping the reporters away from it, if you want to call that a good job at Michigan State. Mm, okay. No, that's actually pretty impressive. If they had a full investigation between December and September, and we didn't hear about it, um, that also might mean there's a little bit more weight to the suspension than I, I realized in, when I saw the headline break over the weekend. Yeah, I don't think the investigation actually started and they did hire an independent investigator. I'm so I don't think that started until like June or July, Mm. but uh, I don't know. A few months is still a long time. That still means that there's plenty of time for them to discover this. And I haven't heard much of what um, Miss Tracy has said, but Mel Tucker has absolutely not denied the intimate nature of their, uh, conversations mel tucker is married this he is not married to her oh he one says, of those okay he situations. says that they he says that they have that he and his wife have been estranged for some time mm-hmm. there is language in mel tucker's contract where they can go after his guarantee for basically any conduct that embarrasses the university or shows a lack of moral judgment so you could make a case that even if this is if this is found to be completely uh, consensual, Michigan State still might go fire him and give and go after his money, and well, he might not get it. If now, if they do that, there's probably mm-hmm. going to get some lawyers involved. Basically, because he's stepping out on his marriage, or I guess they could go. Because uh, I think that's a good transition into the football implications of it. So he's been the head coach of Michigan State for what three seasons? This is his third season. Fourth. Fourth, okay. He was and, his first season was now. This was kind of an interesting story too, and it ties back into what's happening with the football program now. Mark D'Antonio was the head coach of Michigan State for many years. He was wildly successful, especially mm-hmm. by Michigan State standards. There was a time when Ohio State and Michigan State were the one and two teams in the Big Ten. And I gotta say, as a Buckeye. The Michigan State game under D'Antonio always worried me the most. They always came ready to play. They they're the single handedly knocked off the Buckeyes repeat attempt when Ohio State had like Zeke and uh Michael Thomas and Joey Bosa and stuff. You remember that? And oh, yeah. um he also made it to a final four. I think that was the same year. Um, so they had a lot of success in that program. And I also want to point out that uh, the aforementioned um national title under uh Jim Trussell. D'Antonio was the Ohio State defensive coordinator, and the Buckeyes were a very defensive-driven team. So D'Antonio's had a lot of success 
at Michigan State and as, as a head coach and defensive coordinator for Ohio State. Now we transition to he leaves the program and Mel Tucker takes over. And that's what you were kind of getting to earlier. So Exactly, yeah. Uh, Mark D'Antonio left at a very strange time. He left like in mid-February or early March, right after the roster retention bonus that he got. You know, the one that you get paid because they assume you're staying for the next year. Mm. And as soon as you lose your coach, all of your recruits become free agents again. So you got to re-recruit your own recruiting class. And they had to super, super fast hire somebody. So they got Mel Tucker after like one mediocre year at Colorado because he was the guy that was going to leave his program at that same time in the year. <laughs> um. <laughs> And and he got the gigantic contract. Like, I think he's making over nine million a year at Michigan State, which is huge, well, huge money for that. But he didn't get signed to that initially. I thought he had an extension to get to ninety million over yeah. like eight years after a couple seasons. And I think that's the, what we yeah. kind of wanted to get to was, I don't think his first season was very successful or his last season. But in the middle, they had that. Walker Kenneth Walker driven season where I think they were 10 or 11 wins including exactly. beating Michigan and that was when they gave him the extension it was really hard to grade Mel Tucker because his first year he was brought in super late and then it was the COVID year so mm. you could this was also the year that Michigan State bat, men's basketball was the number one team heading into the NCAA tournament that got canceled. So you could make a serious argument that no college uh, athletics program in the nation was more hurt by COVID-19 than Michigan State because that Spartan basketball team could have won a national title and the football team bringing in new coach didn't get to practice with basically any of their new players. Okay, so I'm I'm looking I pulled up their uh, last four seasons under Mel Tucker. They were two and five during the COVID shortened year 2020. Then they went to eleven and two last or in twenty twenty one. I think that's that was the Kenneth Walker year where they yep. hit the where they won the lottery in the transfer portal. Exactly. And then they fell back to five and seven last year. So he's had one year where he won eleven games and the other two combined were seven games. Now they are two and zero right now. But I mean, this is early season where I don't know if they played yeah. anyone that's mattered. No, just they're like going to play. Teams. They're going to play Washington, the Washington Huskies this week, and they are and they need that game the way that the Lions needed the Kansas City game, because Michigan State, other than the one weekend in October of 2021, right after they beat Michigan, they pretty much haven't felt good about their college football team in the four years of mel tucker at least yeah i'm looking at they beat central michigan and richmond uh so far this year so whatever i mean ohio state hasn't beaten anyone that matters like yeah. indiana so but that's to not get back stones. to the but looking at what is happening here the allegations aside mark d'antonio has now returned to the program with mel tucker on uh suspension as the associate head coach he is helping Harlan Barnett, who is a very, very long-term Michigan State assistant, one of D'Antonio's guys that he would have picked to be his successor. Mm. So you know you're going to get Mark D'Antonio's best at age 67 here to on this Michigan State team. And like I said, there's never a good time for these kinds of allegations against Mel Tucker. 
But if Michigan State stunk out the joint this year, they might have wanted to get rid of Mel Tucker after the season anyway. And he's got like six or seven years of nine million plus left on his contract. I'm not saying that they're looking for something as a way to get rid of Mel Tucker. I am absolutely not saying that. But I am saying that I don't think he's going to get a sweetheart investigation. I think it's going to be a true investigation. Well, I mean, based on, you know, we're talking about the football ramifications. I don't think it's a coincidence that John Harbaugh or Jim Harbaugh suddenly learned how to coach as soon as D'Antonio stepped down and suddenly all the recruits from Michigan all were funneled to Michigan instead of Michigan State. I think D'Antonio was holding back the Michigan talent by splitting it. I'm not saying that Harbaugh wasn't getting good talent, but now he's getting elite talent and he can he doesn't have to battle his own state so he can recruit outside outside of the state easier too. So I do think that, and also let's be honest, Urban Meyer stepped down at Ohio State too around the same time. So that those two coaching changes I do think has helped funnel a lot of talent into Michigan's program. And I think that if someone like D'Antonio and his actual hand-picked guy uh, come back, that could really pull some more talent back to Michigan State and uh, cut into the Michigan and possibly Ohio State football programs when we see the Big Ten moving forward. There may not be a great time for this, but the idea of D'Antonio coming back to Michigan State which is for sure, it's happening, has a lot of Spartan fans excited for the year in a way that they were not with Mel Tucker. Michigan State fans were in the realm of hoping for success, not expecting success. But from one painful story, let's talk about physical pain for two Midwest stars, starting with a very public, oh no, we suck again, on Monday night, Aaron Rodgers out for the year with a blown Achilles. And the Jets won that game, but everyone's announcing their season's over because it's Zach Wilson time. Um, it's unfortunate for the Aaron Rodgers, who came out of his cave for this, because he's going to be 40 by the time he returns from this Achilles injury, and it usually takes a couple of years to get back to full speed. I mean, maybe not as much for a pocket quarterback, but that's that's a devastating injury to Aaron Rodgers, and that might have ended his career, to be honest. And uh it's a shame for the Jets fans because they had such high hopes and just because they, they their team looked so good with even bad quarterback play last year when it wasn't catastrophic. And now they're back to the same guy who led the catastrophic failure Jets teams. And that's 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 heartbreaking for the Jets fans. Yeah, it, this is the worst thing that could have happened just about to this Jets team. Um, now, Tony did say he's happy to know that Aaron Rodgers' last career uh, pass still might have been an interception by the Giant or by the Lions last year. <laughs> I mean, he was 0-1, but the last pass caught by Aaron Rodgers would have been by a Lion. <laughs> <laughs> the last completed pass was to the wrong team. Exactly. Um, yeah, this is... Was that the symbolic handing off of the curse of Bobby Lane? It might be. I mean, now you're starting to look at, geez, oh man, are the Jets cursed? Oh, Jets fans are convinced it. I've actually already heard a couple say like, yep, that's a, that's a curse. I will say, I think we can end the debate over who won the trade. I think the Packers definitively won it because uh, they basically got an extra first round pick and now a second round pick for one incomplete pass for the Jets. And uh, 
Now they will be downgrading that next year's first round to a second because Aaron Rodgers clearly won't hit the what was it 65-75 percent? 65 percent. Yeah, he needed to yeah. play 65 percent of snaps this season, and if that happened, then the Jets' second round pick that they were sending in next year's draft as part of the Aaron Rodgers deal becomes a first round pick. Clearly that won't happen. So the final results are going to be a first and a second to the Packers plus whatever loose change got swapped around. And if you're the Packers, that's not a big loss because now it's very likely that that second round pick is going to be a very high second round pick versus a mid to late first round pick with Aaron Rodgers, you know, guiding that offensive juggernaut team with Brees Hall and Jared Wilson and uh, that defense that was harassing the crap out of uh, Josh Allen all night. (laughs) So that defense looked legit. Let me tell you. Yeah. I mean, I'll I'll be straight up honest. I benched Josh Allen in the fantasy league I had him in because that Jets has a really good cornerbacks, really good pass rushers, and a lot of depth. And uh, I was actually proven right to. <laughs> yeah, I hope you had a, a you must have had a really good a second option because it takes a good second option to bench a guy like Josh Allen unless you're okay, just okay. betting on a Buffalo Bills implosion. Okay, okay, fair point. It wasn't a redraft league; it was my dynasty league where I had Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts. So. It's not like Hurts lit it up, but he did. <laughs> yeah, you might just, yeah, you might start Jalen Hurts on a normal. I might have been starting Hurts anyways, to be honest. But <clears throat> neither had a good matchup. But either way, um, speaking of cursed and pain, oh my gosh, J.K. Dobbins, he was doing so good in that game too. Just came back from just the worst knee injury that you could have, and Achilles. He scored a touchdown. First half looked great. And then. And yeah, then it all came crashing down. They were feeding him too. They were featuring him. They even were putting him in passer routes like more than he had ever been. I mean, he was looking because like the big knock on him fantasy wise was he didn't get passes. So he was always limited as a high end RB two. but he was actually getting pass looks. So he, and he was getting all the touches, all the touchdowns, the goal line, et cetera. I mean, we were looking at RB one year and it actually, not to be too dramatic, but similar to Rogers, um, he is in the last year of his rookie contract. So he was hoping he was doing a little holding to try to get paid. Um, he has now had two major injuries. This is a two year injury. I know Cam Akers came back, but he wasn't the same when he came back from it. Um, and uh, you're talking maybe one, two more years till he gets back and they don't want to pay running backs anyway. So, I mean, we're looking at, I think the best case scenario for Jobbins career is getting those like one and a half million dollar prove it one year deals like Rashad Penny signed in uh, Philadelphia, both very similar comp where he just has a lot of injury issues, but uh, was really, really good averaging five plus almost six yards per carry when he played, but just can't stay on the field. And, you know, he's going to be close to 26, 27 in two years. And that, that, that just makes me sad. Yeah. Cause he was, Oh my gosh. He looked like one of the best running backs I'd ever seen come out of college. I couldn't wait to see what he did in the NFL. He was putting up over six yards per carry as a rookie. I mean, it was ridiculous. Yeah. But well, one out know, for my fallen homie. We do, from a fantasy perspective, they, it looks like they're ca- going to try and replace J.K. Dobbins with a committee. I'm not sure any of the guys in there are worth owning, uh, unless you've got a very deep league where you have 
a ton of bench spots and you can just roster a guy or two for speculation because it looks like it's going to be a three-way committee yeah promoting melvin gordon from the uh practice squad heard stories about them trying to trade for jonathan taylor but i don't buy any of that that's just hopeful thinking from fantasy guys i mean if they needed a uh, christian watson in a second or Jalen Waddle in a first from the Miami and Green Bay. I don't see Baltimore topping that, to be honest. And Baltimore, last couple of years without Dobbins, has shown propensity to roll out a bunch of older guys that weren't very explosive in a committee approach. And I just, I think that's the most likely scenario. So, yeah, they haven't had the same kind of success with it that other, you know, cheap committees have had but they also don't have the offensive line that the team's doing that do. Mm-hmm. Transitioning over to starting to talk about week one, when we looked at, when I looked at what was happening in week one in the aggregate, you know, as a whole thing, mm-hmm. what jumped out at me was the quality of play was very low. And there were a couple teams, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati in particular, but also the Seahawks and the giants that just looked like they were completely not ready to play football. I mean, we all saw the Giants on Sunday night. That game flipped fantasy football teams. I know I lost one of my leagues because I was up 35 points going into Sunday night, and my cousin had the Cowboys defense. So, yeah, I I mean, the Giants, I was shocked because I thought that their offensive line and defensive line were improved, but they got absolutely wrecked. Um, Pittsburgh was similar. I'm not as worried about that because the giant, the, the, the Niners had one of the best defensive lines and then added uh Hargrave from Philadelphia and the More Pittsburgh... On Pittsburgh when we uh, start talking about okay. the individual games. Yeah. I won't go too but, far yeah. into it, but their defensive, they, they address the offensive line, but it usually takes some time to get there. And that was a tough first round mat first week matchup. Um, the Seahawks though, they were playing well in the first half until they lost their tackles. And I think that's when the offense fell apart. So maybe they, you know, they got, you know, blown off the field. Did you see anything different? No, you think no, I, I think it was pretty early that it was going the wrong way, but mm, okay. um, they weren't doing great. And then the wheels kind of fell off. Now, did they bench their starters throughout the whole preseason? I can't remember. In Seattle? Oh, I don't yeah. remember. So that was my prediction with Cincinnati was that they were going to start slow, as you call last week, um, and they started really slow. Um, Now, that being said, um, they're slow and then there's deceased, which I think is what we saw in in week one. And I'll I'll just reiterate it. Um, We can I don't want to jump the ahead too far, but there's a stat that I heard the why, why the Bengals start slow every year, and it's. Burrow's rookie year was COVID, so there was no training camp. His second year, he was coming off an ACL tear, so he wasn't really practicing much. He was rehabbing. Last year, he had an appendectomy in preseason, if you remember, so he didn't get to practice much. I forgot about that. And then this year, he uh, had that calf strain where he was out for a month. So Burrow has never really gotten to practice with his team in the preseason anyways. So He's four years, he has never had an NFL training camp. Every different thing, exactly. So... If you're a Bengals fan, don't panic. But I don't want to step on too much. We're going to go in chronological order for our week one reviews. Do you want to get into that? Uh, Starting with just one, my last thought here before we uh, get going here is I don't know what they would do, but I would really like the NFL to do something here that 
helps us address the quality of play week one. I don't know if they're going to make people do play guys in the preseason or what, but this was atrocious. And we had four or five different games where a team just got blown off the field from the first snap. And I'm glad you said that because that was a big water cooler conversation on work today was how bad some of these teams look because they're getting rid of preseason more and more. And you're seeing more, they, they don't want to get injuries in the preseason. So now we're seeing all these injuries in the first week or second week. And um, I, I'm just going to step on a little bit, but like Watson and Dubs for Green Bay both had hamstring injuries. And then Aaron Jones tweaks a hamstring today. That's three hamstrings on the same team, you know, and there's like, there, there's something to be said for ramping up as you go, not just going, we're playing, we're sitting out preseason, our starters to keep them healthy. And then we're going to go full go as hard as we can. And then expect them to not to tear ACLs, Achilles and hamstrings. And um, combined with the fact that they make it harder and harder for cornerbacks to grab and hold defensive linemen or uh, wide receivers like the NBA, it's more wide open. So you get less hard hitting, but you get more hard cutting, which I think is very hard on a lot of soft tissue for these players. And I, I, I don't have any proof of it, but it's my theory that we see a lot more of these uh, soft tissue yeah. injuries since we've eliminated contact. You know, I mean, Michael Jordan got bruised by the Detroit Pistons a lot in the eighties and nineties, but he wasn't Those doing were not non-contact injuries. Exactly. <laughs> but there's something to do. The contact slows, keeps you from getting up to full speed and making these, you know, hard cuts and stuff. Uh, in, yeah, I don't know what the NFL would do about it, but I would I like to either. see something happen. One thing that the NFL does not have to change is the opening night season opener game. Lions and Chiefs drew over 26 million viewers, which is up 5 million from the previous season. It was a gigantic game. Everybody wanted to see the Chiefs. Everybody wanted to see if the Lions and boy, did my hometown team live up to the hype. Oh, yeah. I'm, I don't know about, you know, how that this team's going to the Super Bowl or anything like that. But I do know that right now the Lions have the best win in the NFL. They beat the defending champs in Arrowhead without Jamison Williams. Good point. You know, if all of a sudden somebody goes down late in the season, we started losing. Does that mean we can say, well, we didn't have X, Y, Z? Because yeah, they didn't have the Chiefs didn't have Travis Kelsey. They didn't have Jones. They had wide receivers making historically bad drops. But our wide receivers, other than Amon Ra, weren't great either. I mean, what are we? We had a fumble from uh, like the first career fumble for Marvin Jones. We had uh, drops all over the place. So, you know, are we going to just start handing the ball back to him? I don't think so. It's not the Lions' job to stop the Lions. To your point, Marvin Jones looked slow. I mean, he's one of the oldest receivers in the league, if not the oldest starting receiver. Um, Josh Reynolds didn't look very impressive. I thought Khalif Raymond was the one guy who looked like he had some juice for the uh, the Lions there. Um, but he might have been the best Chiefs receiver last year, last night. And the sad part is the Chiefs have invested a lot of capital into the receiver core, like Reggie Rice and Sky Moore, a couple of second round picks, you know, big money free agent like MVS uh, from the Packers a couple of years ago. And it just seems like they are still completely relying on a mid-30s tight end to be uh, the guy to bump everyone down in the pecking order. 
they are the chiefs i mean are going to have to do some very serious figuring out of their wide receiver core by the time we get to week 8 10 12 we might have a totally different look as to who's in what roles compared to what we have now because it looked like you know this is a wide receiver core that is totally used to at all the big moments Kelsey's getting the ball well there were big moments against the lions and they act were acting like they had no idea where the ball was going. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree, and I think that brings us to the scapegoat because I wanted to let you uh, celebrate the Lions side of this because obviously the big story is former first round pick, and I think the Chiefs traded a third rounder to get him. Kadarius Tony, I mean, he looked awful. He did dumb stuff. He couldn't catch the ball, and. You know, I think he dropped a ball into an interception for a pick six. The you know, ball was and that ball was it's perfect like, placement. It they, was they showed in the, the hands headline. neck high. Yeah, I seen I seen the uh, meme where it was this was a pick six and it just flashes with the ball right in Kadonius Tony's hands. You know, you can't blame that interception on Mahomes. I've I've heard people start saying like we need to change the way we count interceptions because that's not an interception on the quarterback. That's a hundred percent an interception by the wide receiver. And um, yeah, I would I've I've long said it would be really interesting to see what the stats would be if we had the stat interception charge to the receiver. Well, that's what pro football focus works on. You know, they do the uh, interception or turnover worthy throws where they count a ball that should have been intercepted that was dropped. And then they don't count the uh, touchdown or the interceptions that were not on the quarterback's hands. So you can have a really good rated throw that's intercepted like that one that we saw. Now I want to say the other side before we, you know, bury the chiefs. Cause we're, we're a Midwest football podcast. And even though they are the Midwest, we are really great likes at heart. Um, the guy who intercepted that and housed it was rookie second rounder, Brian branch, who we thought might've been the steal of the draft. I thought he should have been a first round pick and was the best safety. And he looked the part. I mean that he was, a, he, he was a hit the ground running as a rookie, uh, Sam Laporta was like five for five. He was one of the best uh, tight, rookie tight end premieres we've seen catching five passes where I think the last like four seasons, all the rookie tight ends combined for like five catches uh, in their first game. Now, I think Kincaid and uh, Musgrave added that later in the week, but Laporta looked great. And so did Gibbs. That's exactly the point I was going to. I'm so glad you said that because the Lions basically started four and a half re, uh, rookies with because Gibbs was 50-50 oh, with Jack Campbell. Montgomery, because they also had Jack Campbell, mm-hmm. and all of them looked legit. Yep. All of them looked legit on the road week one against the defending champs. The Lions did not play their best game. This was a C-plus game, and they still beat the toughest team on their schedule. And I also want to add, too, and I'll, I'll uh, quote from the podcast Tony on this, whereas he was also talking about, too, like, we know Gibbs looked explosive. Like he looked really good. Uh, Montgomery, his stat line wasn't particularly great with the 3.5 yards per carry. But when you watched him run, he was getting hard yardage up the middle. And his touchdown run, I mean, Tony was like, Jamal Williams wouldn't have made that all the way into the end zone because that was like an eight yard run up the middle where he broke a couple tackles. And he showed a little bit of explosive burst between the tackle, break, tackle breaking, which got him into the end zone. And then Charles just, wouldn't have had. Yeah, exactly. Jamal Williams. Yeah. And I don't think he would have made it eight yards. He would have got it halfway there. And I just think that 
you're seeing the improvements. Like, sure, you don't invest in running backs or high draft picks, blah, 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 you know, but they upgraded with... both. They, they're both upgrades. Montgomery mm-hmm. and Swift is better, or Gibbs are better. And what I like about it, too, is that both Montgomery and Gibbs are threats to run the ball up the middle and take a pass. So they're not telegraphing the situations. Like, Jamal Williams in the game, you know he's running the ball up the middle. DeAndre Swift is in the game. You know they're throwing a swing pass, you know, and I just think that that improves the offense overall. I mean, Laporta and Gibbs look like the second and third best options as uh, for golf, and that's not even an insult to the rest of the receivers at this point. They look good, but also the rest of the receivers didn't look great. <laughs> yeah. I Outside would say, I would say that with this win, the expectations for the Lions jacked up big time. Mm-hmm. because there is nobody left on their schedule that I'm looking at and doing the whole, you know, all the line, you know, it would be nice if they win this one, but I'm not going to be too mad if they don't, you know, as long as they're in the game, no. Yeah. At this point, I don't think it's enough for the lions to make, just make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's enough for this team just to win the division. I think this team needs to win a playoff game. I agree. And well, the bidding for that starts at about 12 wins. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I would put them as a top four NFC team. I mean, obviously Dallas and, and the Niners made statement games and the Eagles looked rusty, but it was against, you know, on the road against uh, Bill Belichick defense, whatever they won. Um, I think the Lions, there might not be in that pantheon, but they're at least, I can't see anyone who's better than, of the rest at this point as, as far as i'm concerned the lions are the third best team in the nfc and it's clear oh who do you have who do you have them ahead of of the Dallas, three teams I just who named? i see as a complete fraud oh i like this hot take wow you know because let's examine what happened okay. in that new york giants game really fast okay okay the, the dallas defense absolutely smoked a New York Giants offensive and defensive line that looked like they had no idea what day it was. Okay. So you had this Giants team take the field with basically a stud running back, a quarterback that we know needs protected and no offensive line. Hey, Mark Andrews, one of the best tackles in the football. Did he play? I couldn't tell you by the way they were second general. Whether Jones. whether he was on the field or not, he didn't play. That's fair. <laughs> so and what does Dallas do? They go on the playoffs and they choke. Why? Because you know all those awesome defensive plays that they were making. What's the strength of the Lions? Their offensive line. What's the strength of the 49ers? Their offensive line. What's the strength of the Eagles? Their offensive line. What is Dallas not going to be able to do the way they did last night? Hmm, that's a fair point. Manhandle the offensive line. Yep. So that'd so be interesting. All of a sudden, okay. they're in a game and against any of those teams, and they're going to end up losing up front on possibly both ends of the football. I like any it. of those top three teams. Man, I hope Dallas plays Detroit in the playoffs this year. That would be fun. We could replay this. Cause uh, I thought you were gonna go with the normal cop out route of just I don't trust Dak. So I like I like the uh, bold strategy that the deep pass rush isn't as good as uh, it looked. 
Mika they've Parsons. Got, I mean, they, it's, I mean it's, it's what Dallas has done for the last 20 years after they've spun their wheels. They've got a stars and stud, a studs and duds team mm-hmm. on both the offensive line and on the defense. And that's well, been their problem. So speaking of defensive lines that played really well, maybe they're frauds too. I don't know. But the Browns manhandled the Bengals offensive front and uh, to a tune of a 24 to three victory over the Bengals, giving uh, the Bengals another slow start to the season. I mean, we talked about, you know, a lot of uh, Burroughs, but uh, the Browns defensive line looked great. Um, do you think it's, do you think they're as good or do you think they're going to get oh, yeah. stuffed when they go into a, okay. I think next we'll talk. I don't want to get too far into this, but we're covering the, this. Game? But the Steelers might end up having played the two most bad, you know, man matching defensive lines in yeah in the entire NFL yeah. in the first two weeks. Yeah, Nick while Bosa, they are rebuilding their offensive line. Nick Bosa and friends, followed by Miles Garrett and friends. Yeah, that's a. I mean, we were right. I mean, if, if Miles Garrett had some teammates like Delvin Tomlinson and Zedarius Smith, suddenly it just gets scary. Did you see the meme, the, not the meme, the video of uh, Miles Garrett playing linebacker, middle linebacker, dancing, swaying back and forth to mess with the front, the, the guards and the uh, center? He was just toying with them. And then he just went right up the middle and sacked the quarterback anyways. Like that's that's what was happening. That's wild. Wow. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, look it up on Twitter. It's a great clip. It's it almost looks like a joke. It's like those things you see, like the Savannah Bananas do their little dance before they throw the pitch. Like, but at the NFL level against a team that was in the Super Bowl two years ago in the Final Four last year, I mean, that was pretty legit victory by the Browns. I mean, Seth Seth's fifteen and two prediction might be true if if their defense is that good. And if Deshaun Watson stopped skipping passes, he didn't look great. I mean, he had receivers that were there and he was missing them. I don't know if he's, if it's still rust at this point, he's had a full off season, but he overthrew Donovan Peoples Jones, a couple deep passes that were there. He underthrew a couple guys. Uh, he had one of the worst looking interceptions I've seen. Although I heard that might've been tipped when he threw it, but um, Watson didn't look great. Chubb looked amazing. Um, but Trump was they, getting passing down work. So, yep. I mean, if let's put it this way, if Watson, if he can just be not bad, I think Cleveland is a legitimate Super Bowl contender this year. I mean, they their lines looked great, and so they, yeah, they're going to win up Nick front Trump. against this, a lot of teams. The only fly in that ointment is the their left tackle Jack Conklin going down. Oh he, yeah, that was a brutal injury. Yeah, he his knee buckled and it turned out we found out this afternoon it was a torn he got the double. It was torn ACL and MCL and it is out for the season. The dreaded ACL plus as they call it. Yeah, so yeah. it's not just an injury, it's a bad knee injury. It is going knee first into the wood chipper level of knee injury. Yeah. That's a brutal loss, but uh and on the flip side, the Bengals might got, might have saved some money because T. Higgins had like eight or nine passes thrown his way and didn't bring in a single one. So maybe they don't have to pay him $20 million a year to keep him. <laughs> Just kidding. That's, that was a brutal, yeah. that was brutal. But I, I, you know, as I said earlier, Bengals fans, don't, you guys start slow. 
Bengals will get there. Chase will have some breakout games. Burrow will get his groove back. It's yeah. they're going to be fine. Yeah, um, and so and for the Bengals, just really quickly, it is not panic time on Bengals team or any of these players. They basically punted their preseason, as we said up front. So I'm not looking for to figure out what the real Bengals team is until like week three, week four. Same. Yeah, and also flip side too. We don't cover them, but the Ravens won. But I'm not. I don't know. I just they had a couple losses in addition to Dobbins in their secondary, and uh, I still think it's a battle of the Ohio teams. Now I might be backing off my Steelers after their game, but we can talk about that later. But for now, let's take it south to uh, the AFC South, where uh, our one AFC South team actually held their own pretty well. Um, they uh, the Indianapolis Colts kept it close against the Jaguars until a late uh, breakaway touchdown by ETN uh, to a tune of 31 21. Did you have any um, takeaways from this game? Yeah. Um, Anthony Richardson definitely flashed in places here. Mm-hmm. So now I don't know if people are you know, hilariously overrating Jacksonville, which I strongly suspect might be the case because I was never in their cheering section. They were the but... new shiny. Because teams I thought, get I'm, I'm not going to lie, I thought this was going to be a train wreck with Anthony Richardson. And yes, the Jaguars did eventually overtake the Colts. Uh, they eventually stopped getting out of their own way. I don't know if they decided to bench you know, Colts MVP Tank Bigsby or what happened there. <laughs> oh, my God. He's lucky Kadarius Tony already played because he had a similar game just with less press. Yeah, he had another easy pass bounce off him and get pick six. Pick six, and he had and he picked up a fumble that he didn't realize wasn't dead and had it swatted away from him, and that went the other way for a touchdown. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, I mean it was nuts. Like the cold. If the the coach problem for the Jaguars probably has new bald spots for where he tore his own hair out. I mean. He didn't give up on him though because he kept Bigsby in the game late. He scored a touchdown, and the game, the play before the touchdown was actually really impressive. It's why he probably got the name Tank. He got hit in the line um, at the, like the eight yard line, and it looked like a rugby scrum where they just pushed the pile all the way down to the one yard line. It was pretty impressive run. But if you're a big fan of him uh, for fantasy. He did get the touchdown, but ETN dominated the snaps and even had all the he scored a touchdown of his own. He got all the passing work. So the demise of ETN is a little early for Tank Bigsby, but uh Tank's still a rookie. He had a couple in, you know problems in the rec, in the in the preseason, so maybe he's just a space cadet, but I mean he's a running back. Go get the ball and run. Um but we heard a couple of the Colts. Um I agree with it, Richardson. He looked far more competent than I was expecting. And it's funny to me because um, all offseason, I was kind of putting the hit the brakes on the Anthony Richardson hype train in fantasy football because I don't know if he can throw the ball very well. And then when I got to my redraft leagues and my home leagues, I found myself with Anthony Richardson everywhere because in uh, these pro underdog drafts, he was going as like the QB 10. And all the redraft leagues, I mean, he was going at QB like 16 or 17. So he did pretty well for me in week one. I will tell you that I'm in seven redraft or dynasty or home leagues or whatever you want to call them. And, uh, but the one concern that I did have, this is a very minor nitpick was he only completed one of his passes to the left side, which 
this is <laughs> defenses are going to catch up to that quick. And this is a nitpick as a Bears fan. Um, that was the big knock on Rick Meyer from the 90s. He was a second overall pick behind Drew Bledsoe for the Seahawks. Somehow the Bears decided after he sucked for Seattle to trade a first round pick for him. And it was a weird thing where he, the defenses realized he only read one side of the field. So when you go back and look at the old game films, they just flooded the offensive right, defensive left, and dared him to throw across his body the other way. Now, I'd have to go back. I'm going to continue watching the Colts because, you know, Richardson is a fun person to watch and see if this is a drawn up thing or if he only looks to the right or if it was just a when in doubt he's under pressure, he scrambles to the right and that's where he's looking, which I think there's a good possibility of that because which if he's a right-handed quarterback, that's the side he wants to run through because ex- it allows him to better throw. Exactly. And you know, he did if have a lot of, yeah. he lived up the, to his rushing upside. For, for those of you who are not, you know, you deep on the uh the film side, a quarterback that is running towards the side that they throw to so a right-hand quarterback rolling right or a left-hand quarterback rolling left can cool. very easily throw without setting their feet as long as they're throwing to the same side of the field they're heading towards mm-hmm. if you're throwing the opposite field you have to kind of reset and put your hips in the right spot or you're going to end up with this weird it could go anywhere herky-jerky kind of throw with no power on it really tough mechanics exactly so that might have just been a lot of that and i think that what we saw with the Steichen stuff in the past with Jalen Hurts, it was throw your first read or take off and running. And to be honest, a lot of those passes might've been first read wasn't there and he used his legs to buy time. And if that's true, that's actually more advanced than just taking off and running. So I wouldn't knock the constantly throwing to his right. If he was running, yeah. if he was scrambling. Who was the first target, the first target for the Colts, because I'm looking at it. Uh, the number one target targeted player, uh, was Josh Downs with seven, couple guys with six, the tight end, Kylan Granson, uh, Deion Jackson, who might be real deep in uh, hot water because he had five catches for 14 yards, 13 runs for 14 yards, and lost two fumbles. In our fantasy football league, that'd be minus six points, by the way. Oh, no, no. In the old way, it would be minus six, minus four. But yeah. Now it's minus four, yeah. So. Wait, I think you missed. I thought Michael Pittman was the leading receiver. Oh yeah, I missed. I, I yeah, okay, I didn't scroll down far enough. Yeah, yeah he Pittman had eleven targets, eight receptions, ninety-seven okay. in touchdown. He did fine. He was the dude. Yeah, he was. He was good. So I stand corrected. Yeah, so I think I think he was the guy faded by a lot of fantasy people. No one wanted to get him, and looks like he lived up. He might be one of those guys who you draft as a wide receiver three that you can confidently plug in as your wide receiver two and win you some games or as a flex, an elite flex play. So I think that was pretty promising that Richardson, I think his accuracy was higher than it ever was in college. So I think that's a really good sign for the Colts in the future. Maybe um, it's a sign of better coaching in the NFL than he ever had in college. Well, we're seeing a lot of gems out of Florida that were misused like Damian Pierce. And uh, well, I'd like to say Kadarius Tony, but we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> but the Lions oh, were Kyle, fine with Kyle how he Pitt. was used. Yeah, that's true. Kyle Pitts. Oh, wait, no, that's not a good example either. People in Atlanta don't like the way he's used in Atlanta either. So either way, Florida has talent. And um, speaking of Florida teams that maybe don't have talent but still won the game, the Buccaneers pulled off a big upset, beating the 13-4 and Minnesota Vikings on the road in Minnesota. Apparently, let's bake um, 
reference to Baker Mayfield's name, not the uh, drug stuff or whatever um, that's legalized in half the states, uh, as people think it might have been. But uh, the Buccaneers won that game 20 to 17 in Minnesota. Um, do you think we were right to go with the under? For Minnesota despite their 13 wins last year this was a train wreck of a game for Minnesota I watched this game live for some psychotic reason call me a masochist I don't know but I was fascinated by how this game was going you felt on some level like Minnesota should have won the game by 25 points but it was so obvious why they weren't they had only spotty pressure. I mean, really, this game was not well coached on either side because I believe Tampa that. Tampa started the game just blitzing the snot out of Minnesota's uh, offense, and Minnesota was acting like they had no idea what was going on. Kirk Cousins got hit 12 times in this game. Brutal. He threw three interceptions, or no, one interception and two fumbles in the first half, and none of them were really his fault, plus 250 yards passing in the first half. I was going to say, he put up prolific passing yards. Um, Je- uh, Jefferson had 150 yards. Addison scored his first touchdown as a uh, as a rookie, the receiver. Yeah, they um, got to the fourth quarter, and they and Minnesota only had thirteen designed called run plays in a very close game. But I want to bring up what you were texting me during the game. What what were you what were you saying over and over again that that offensive line was getting manhandled, and that was oh, why? Yeah. I mean, you were getting at it with all the hits and pressures that Cousin had, but. I mean, that was our big critique on the Vikings in the offseason. They didn't do enough to upgrade the offensive line, and they punished for it already with a loss. I mean, that's Tampa is not a great team. The, the, the GOAT is not walking through the door to play quarterback. I mean, yeah. I After Minnesota lost this game, I don't see a whole lot of teams that I can confidently say they're better than. But it was – Tampa started with blitzing like crazy – and and then Minnesota adjusted by running a lot of quick routes out of the shotgun and Tampa started playing more and more zone. And that was a mistake because without any pressure on cousins, he was just sitting back and picking them apart with all their great offense, uh, offensive weapons. Mm-hmm. And then we got to the late third, fourth quarter, Tampa started blitzing again and the problem started again and Minnesota just imploded. I mean, I got to say, I actually don't think Kirk Cousins is the problem, despite maybe it's controversial. I think he actually played pretty well considering the no offensive line. I mean, you've watched the game more. And I got to say, Minnesota is playing Philadelphia on a short week Thursday night, and the Eagles did not look great against the Patriots defense. But I'm going to tell you, if you have any chances to trade for any Philadelphia Eagle after their bad performance and start them this week on Thursday night, I say you go get them. Sorry, you were going to say something? Yeah. Um, I want to step too much on this. but Kirk, the- Kirk Cousins is the first player with 250 yards and three turnovers in a first half since <laughs> Vinny Testaverde in 2000. Oh, yeah. Vinny Testaverde, the 400 yards, four touchdowns, four interceptions guy that I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Which Vinny Testaverde is also the last Jets quarterback to blow his Achilles in week one. 
Well, I guess Aaron Rodgers joined him. <laughs> so that's two weird Vinny Testaverde coincidences. Wow. Testaverde now has a has a uh, tie into Green Bay quarterbacking and Minnesota Vikings quarterbacking. I'll give him an honorary Midwest football lander. <laughs> he also coached quarterback the uh, Browns too. But um, yeah, but, uh, do you yeah, have any last I mean, thoughts on the Vikings before we move on? I, all their offensive weapons, their receivers look great. Their tight end. Uh, not so much the blocking one that they brought in because he was pretty much responsible for, you know, I do want to talk about the three turnovers by Kirk Cousins. Yeah, that go for none it. of them were his fault. Okay, break it down. First of all, you had a fumble because the left guard, when or sorry, the right guard, when he came out of his snap, swung his arms out wide really really fast for some reason felt like he's getting ready to go hammer somebody and in doing so he hit the ball with the top of his left hand during the center quarterback exchange that's a cousin's fumble legally but in the stat line but what's Kirk Cousins going to do other than go because it didn't just Tumble, it tumbled and flew off to the left into the middle of a pile of Tampa players. Yeah. Jeez. Okay, so the that's turnover one, number one. <laughs> the second one was a blindside hit on a linebacker that came clean. That so that was that was fumble two. Or you know, something came out of nowhere. It might not have been blindside, but it came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And the third one was, oh, what's that blocking tight end that they spent a million millions of dollars? Jo- on? Josh Gordon, I think. No. Starts with an O. o like I want to oh, say Josh like, Oliver. Sorry, Oliver. Yeah, they were driving down the field, and he put one between two yeah. uh, defensive backs right in Oliver's bread basket. And either the safety or the corner, I'm not sure which, literally ripped it out of the guy's arms as he was backing into the end zone with the other guy holding on to him and started running the other way. It was not an interception, which is what it officially went down as, so much as larceny. So I have a question for you. And that was just the first half for Kirk Cousins, and he was pretty ticked on the sideline. But we 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 covered this in our preview last week. I don't think the Vikings care about the passing game. The big offseason thing was improving the run game efficiency. Was the run game efficiency better? Because that's all that matters. Not the win, not the passing, not the turnovers. Just can they be more efficient? You don't have to actually look this up. I'm mocking them. They look terrible. And the blocking tight end obviously did not help them. Alexander Madison, 11 runs for 34 yards. He couldn't get going. Uh, like three yards per carry almost exactly <laughs> um mo- yeah he was just getting stuffed all day yeah um, i think ty chandler did even worse but he had like one catch for 18 yards Ty had chandler like- had three runs for zero kirk cousins who's not a running quarterback three it runs three scrambles for seven wow that's his that's that's almost as efficient as not uh Alexander with, was. with the two fumbles lost uh, Madison did have a, a very, very nice screen pass reception that he fought into the end zone for a touchdown. But that doesn't count. That's not run game. We don't care about that. <laughs> I mean, fantasy, it matters. It saved his day. But <laughs> yes, it's not run game efficiency. So let's go run game efficiency Vikings. That's what I'm going to call them. Um, yeah. Suffice to say, this 
could get very ugly very quickly for Minnesota if they don't find a way to address their problems on the offensive line. Well, they did, uh, speaking of the offensive line, they did lose Garrett Bradbury to a back injury. He did not return. We don't know the severity of it, but that might help them or might not. I don't know if it's addition by subtraction or if it's just going to get worse. Um, True. So moving on to other Midwest teams that did not look great. The 49ers beat the Pittsburgh Steelers 30 to 7. That game was over almost immediately. Um, yeah, that final score looked like you could have put a one in front of the 37 and it would have looked pretty much the same. Yeah, and the Steelers offensive line is a work in progress and going up against Nick Bosa and Vernon Hargrave and friends did not help them look good. Uh, Pickett found out the hard way that being perfect in preseason is not the same when you're going up against arguably the best defensive line in football. And uh, my prediction of the Steelers upset was wrong because I thought that they were playing the preseason and they would look a little more polished. Um, Pickett looked like the guy who was coming off a UCL tear and hadn't practiced all season uh, for the last six months. And Brock Purdy looked like the guy who had led five touchdown drives in five preseason games. So I stand very corrected. Um, But I will say, much like the Bengals, I would not panic if I'm a Steelers fan. I think that going against one of the best veteran teams is a really tough draw, even at home. Um, the only concern is that Deontay Johnson pulled a hamstring and might be out two to four weeks, which is unfortunate. Yeah, that's, that's a major loss. Look, you can't take too much away when a loss is as lopsided as this one was as quickly as so quickly. Yeah. I mean, they, they ran the ball nine times to running backs, I think. Yeah, like Najee had six and Warren had three, so we can't even tell anything yeah. about it. Although I am hearing fantasy football guys taking victory laps about it, and I'm just like, you can't tell anything from that game. Yeah, what's the and it's it's just matchups. What was the weakness of the 49? Sorry, the Steelers' offense, offensive line. What's the strength of the 49ers' defensive line? Maybe the best defensive line in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's you know maybe we need to pump the brakes. Their offensive line's problems may not be as completely solved as we thought in the preseason, mm-hmm. which puts a a, a pall on this uh, Steelers team, especially in this division. And mm-hmm. it may not get any better next week either. But this is another one that give it till week three, week four. And I'm gonna say too, people like the Bears, the Steelers, um, the Jaguars. And there's one team I'm missing. They all drafted a right tackle in the first round. And we go, good job. You addressed your concern. But you can't count on a rookie in his first game ever just solving your problems. It takes time. So don't give up on the Steelers line. They've addressed it. I think these things take time. They take they did gel. Uh, the rookies get better. And I think that um, they're in good shape. Uh, a silver lining was Allen Robinson looked like he's not washed up. They moved him into the slot and like Larry Fitzgerald and some other guys who we thought were washed up, uh, looked like they shed some new light into him. And uh, Calvin Austin looked pretty good in relief of Deontay late in the game, but that might have just been prevent garbage time. Yeah, I would also say that Pickens had some nice uh, passes that were not just deep balls, so he looks like he's building his repertoire. <laughs> some nice highlight catches out of bounds that didn't count, unfortunately. But That one too, but yeah, I was looking at some of the not highlight stuff yeah. also that came early enough in the game that things were still in contention and Fryermuth before oh. i just said okay this is this is burnt toast and i'm out of here but 
Yeah, yeah unfortunately, but... Fryermuth injured his chest and left early, but he did catch the one touchdown for three yards, which makes him one of the best fantasy tight ends of the week with mm-hmm. his six points, six point three points, which is kind of funny to say out loud, but that's true. Yeah, it was not a good week for tight ends. There was a lot of we're not ready to play football games, and there was a lot of weather games, and that does not add up to a lot of passing. A lot of them are stayed, and a lot of uh, tight ends are asked to stay in and block when there's situations like that. And you just had a lot of scratches like Kelsey and Andrews. So the big victory for tight ends were the people who faded tight ends, at least for week one. Um, On to the last game of the uh, slate for week one. It was the Bears versus the Packers. The Packers won 38 to 20. And it was. And I felt like I needed, yeah, I felt like I needed to do a wellness check about three quarters of the way through this game. Mm -hmm. Well, (laughs) so I didn't want to talk about it when you texted me about it, but. I got to say, it's it's an interesting a couple days later hearing people talk about what a beatdown and drubbing it was because anybody who says that didn't watch the first half. Um, it was two very different games. The Bears looked way better in the first half despite trailing 10-6. to six. Uh, The problem is that I'm not sure the Bears are as well coached as we'd like to think. Or maybe that's just they're young, but uh, they had two field goal drives that kept getting – like bad holdings or dumb penalties would kill the drive and settle for a field goal. Uh, they opened the game with a fourth down conversion attempt on a play where even the announcers showed that the formation tipped off that it was a quarterback sneak and the Packers just jammed the the center right from the start more so than you'd even do it when you're normally expecting a drive. And that set up a short field where Aaron Jones looked great. He had a great run and it set up the dubs pass, but and then the next few drives, the Bears defense actually looked really good. I remember I almost texted you like, wow, the Bears actually look like a good defense. All those lines paid off. Um, the, the linebackers look good. The secondary is looking good. Uh, even a Dockway had some negative yards, uh, t- tackles and a sack in the first half. And then the Packers field goal drive was a short field because the Bears are pinned in their own uh, end zone when they punted. And it was one of those Madden drives where I think um, – uh, Jordan Love was like one for five on the drive, but it was enough to pick up the first down, get him into field goal range. And then he took a sack for <laughs> right promptly. It was a literally a third and 18 where they kicked the field goal. So like the first half, like it was one of those weird games where the Packers were winning, but the bears looked better. And this is the concern that I have for the bears. When you go back to last year is they're, Halftime adjustments were clearly non-existent um, because they got no pressure in the second half. Their offensive line looked terrible. They, I don't know what they did. Obviously, maybe the Packers just had good good adjustments. But this goes back to last year where I saw a stat from, I think it was Professional Gambler on Twitter, Warren Sharp. He posted that the Bears led the league in offensive scoring in the first drive, and they were one of the worst teams the rest of the game. And you kind of saw that where Fields looked like Justin Fields from Ohio State. He was like nine for twelve, nine for ten, and start the game. And then in the second half, it was awful. Like it was just awful. Like I mean, they deserve the loss. I mean, the fact of the matter is that that thirty-eight to twenty beatdown was almost entirely the second half, <laughs> which I don't know if that makes it worse because that was the most recent game played. You know, so. I don't know if you got if you if you have any comments on that because I've been taken up the whole time yeah. on this rant, but well, this is your team, so I I led the Lions. You get to lead the Bears. I've been saying all the way through that the this year's Bears are a year behind last year's Lions. 
Last year, the Lions opened the season with a loss to the Philadelphia Eagles that we didn't know were good. We're going to be good. And it, it was close. It was like 38-35. It takes a young team with a lot of new pieces time to gel. So I would say the same thing that I would say to the teams that didn't show up in week one. Although I don't think that was the case here. Give this team time. This is a young squad. The Lions ended the season, you know, eight and two. But in order to get there, they had to start one and six. And to your point, I think there's some parallels between what we saw Chicago and uh, Pittsburgh, where they were both young teams that were expected to take a st- take a step forward. And they both had really good preseasons. And I think that they let the preseasons get to their head. Like, I mean, Fields and Pickett looked like they could be elite quarterbacks based on the preseason alone. And I think that was a reality check that they needed to go through. And we'll see how they respond to it, to be honest. Um, And if you're a Packers fan, you've already bought your, your, your Super Bowl tickets because obviously they're unstoppable. They have a third Hall of Fame quarterback in a row. Jordan Love's stats looked great. And I will say, um, watching it, I don't want to poo-poo it. I wasn't super impressed by the first half, but obviously he rallied in the second half and was way better. I mean, he was like 75% completion in the second half. And um, he even had a weird play where they had a fumbled snap and he and he uh, hit Luke Musgrave deep, but Musgrave fell over and lost a touchdown. But um I'm very curious to see how it goes forward because the Packers might be legitimately good. The Bears might be legitimately bad and we don't know, but they're both young teams. And if I'm Green Bay, I'm I'm happy that they still own Chicago. If I'm Chicago, I'm just same old crap. I mean, I'm already seeing the phone call ringer ringtone that says possible fraud with a picture of uh, Justin Fields. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, I'm not ready to write him off yet. Yeah. So let's then... Start looking ahead to next week with our game previews. And this segment we call One More Thing, where, yes, we're going to pick these games, but we're also going to look at one aspect of our team that we want to look at in close detail that will tell us much more about what's going to happen with our team going forward. And we're going to start with the Thursday night game. We got the Vikings coming off that horrid loss on a short schedule against the Eagles. What do you think is going to happen here, Brian? I think the Eagles are going to be they, – they won. They beat the Patriots, but the Patriots literally ran a defense that the announcer, uh, Tony Romo, said he'd never even seen. Um, the Vikings defense is not that advanced, um, even with Flores. And I just – what I'm looking to see is can the Vikings offensive line, who got manhandled by Bucks? hold up against baby Rhino and friends with the Eagles. Cause I don't think this is an easier assignment to be honest on a short week. And this could be ugly on the front. I mean, I, I actually fear for Kirk cousin's safety. I want to see what the back end of the Vikings can do against the Eagles receivers. Cause we know the Eagles have two very good receivers. We know that the Vikings are not the best pass rush team and the Eagles have a tremendous offensive line. So those corners are in for a tough fight here and how well they're able to stay with uh aj brown and Devonte smith will go a long way towards deciding not just what happens with the eagles but also 
what happens the rest of the year with this defense because I think the Eagles are going to hammer the Vikings. I don't think the Vikings are going to win this game. But if the back end shows up well, then they've got a chance for a lot of the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. If the back end, if the back end is getting hammered by the receivers, look out. This Mm -hmm. could, this could be a top five pick kind of team, but it will also be a fantasy friendly game. Probably. So start your guys, make sure you set your lineup early guys. Cause that game's Thursday. Yep. Absolutely. But I think we both said our win. I think we both have the yeah. Eagles winning. So we, we both, yeah, <laughs> we both think that this is not going to be a terribly competitive game for four quarters. I've been surprised before, but you know, both every, were 13 <laughs> wins last year. Yeah. Every so often you have a game where it's like, okay, here's the footage from the game. Here's a footage from the game in a fire in a barrel. Any questions? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Vikings, yeah. Uh, one of the teams that was like that was the Bears, who now get their turn against the surprisingly 1-0 Bucks. This time they got to play them in Tampa. Ryan, what do you think? What are you looking for here, and what do you think is going to happen? I am curious to see how the Bears' interior of the offensive line holds up against the Bucks' uh, tackles, because I think the Bucks' tackles are pretty good. They're very underrated. I mean, as much as we're throwing the Vikings' offensive line under the bus, people forget that the Bucks' defensive line is actually pretty good. It's still hold a lot of it still holds over from the Super Bowl year a couple of years ago, and um, the Bucks, the Bears. You know, we talked about the tackles, but I think you pointed out the Tevin Jenkins injury. I think really hurt the Bears because. He was their best lineman last year, and then they kicked Cody Whitehair out from center to guard, and they basically downgraded at two positions because of that. And I think when you watch the Bears-Packers game in the second half, you see a lot of the pressure was up the middle, which is so Fields couldn't step up in the pocket. Um, And I will say this, uh, I'm debating because – I have tickets to go to the game because I'm in Orlando, and I'm debating whether or not to sell them or not. I'm just kidding. I'm going to go. Um, and uh, <laughs> you're doing, yeah. I thought you would be, I thought you were going to say you were debating whether or not to go with a bag over your head. Well, that's true too. Um, what I will say though, and I'm going to do a tub, two for one. So I apologize. And it's one more thing, not two more things. The other thing I want to see is how the bears do against the bucks compared to how the Vikings did against the bucks, because I think that it's not the best process, but I do want to see if the bears can handle the bucks in a way that the Vikings couldn't, because if the Bears come out angry and adjust from the loss of the Packers, then I won't be nearly as disappointed as I was last year, last week. But if they come out and they lose like the Vikings did, I will say the Bears might be a front runner for the Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison sweepstake because despite everyone thinking the Cardinals, the Bears have two first round draft picks and the Panthers didn't look good either. So <laughs> <laughs> Okay. What I'm looking for here is if the breakdown of the running back stays close to what it was last week, the, the running back work, because this is a team that I think wants to run, but got behind. Mm. And this has the lookings of a four way committee running. Oh, with there fields, were yeah. with fields and fields had nine rushes. Uh, Khalil Herbert had nine. Deontay Foreman had five. Roshan Johnson had five and a touchdown. Uh, Johnson also had six catches. Foreman had two catches. Herbert had two. Herbert had three. Oh, three. My bad. I'm looking yeah. right at it Um, on five targets. So, I mean, what is going to happen with these running backs? This That's what I want to find out because I also feel like if they get that figured out, 
then that's going to be a whole long way on a game that I really feel like the Bears should win. And if they don't, then alarms are going to start to go off. So I'm glad you brought the running backs because that is an interesting thing because um, there's this is a very polarizing take already. And um, the advanced metrics guys I listen to still don't have the breakdown, but Roshan Johnson, there's a lot of uh, truthers out there taking victory laps like, oh, my God, look at that. Week one, he's already the guy. But he didn't show up until garbage time. He didn't play much early on. That last drive, he scored a touchdown twice, actually. He was ruled out by a thumbnail. Um, he did look good, by the way. He blew up a sa- one of the safeties and embarrassed him. It was a highlight reel. Go watch it. It was beautiful. But he was still third in the depth chart come in and they'd had a lot of form and they had a lot of Herbert early on. And I'm curious to see what, to your point, what will it looks like going forward? Because he might've played well enough to earn the spot over Foreman or Herbert, but he also might've just gotten a lot of play because it was the end of the game, you know? So either way, it was fun to watch. And that's a great point. Even so Khalil Herbert out rushed him nine to five and was playing when the game was competitive. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and he looked good the, early. He looked great in the first drive, by the way. So for those of you that are doing your Roshan Johnson victory lap, hold your horses. He's still five rushes for 20 yards in garbage time. Yeah. And Khalil I still, Herbert, of course, had nine for 27, which is awful. Yeah. But I, I, I don't still, know if they're telegraphing their runs and passes or what, but. I still think it's going to eventually become a Herbert and Roshan two-man committee. I think Foreman's good. But I just think Roshan is going to – I don't know if he's going to be number one or two, but I think Foreman is the third most talented back in that field. And I think talent will eventually win out. But that's a good thing to watch for. Um, What's your pick on the game? I really feel like the Bears should win. If they don't win, then it's a bigger problem. Um, If They may not have the success running up the middle with Vita Vea, but – you know, the defense is, too, yeah. yeah, well, Cansey was down and out for part of, I don't know if he's oh, still going to be injured next okay. year, but, or next week, but okay. um, I do feel like one. the, um, if the, even if the bears are not doing great, they should, the defense should offensively, the defense should do enough to slow down Tampa unless the, they're just making colossal mistakes offensively which is why I feel like the bears are going to win unless Justin Fields loses the game. Okay. And when I make my prediction, I'm going to do a third, one more thing. I'm done with chase Claypool. That dude doesn't even try. He, the ball was thrown to him. He didn't even go for the ball. He blew a block on a screen pass. He's lucky tank Bigsby and uh Kadarius Tony exists because their errors were way worse, but it, it's an effort thing at this point. He looks terrible. Um, I I'm going to go with the bears too. Um, miss, this is just wishful thinking at my point for me. Um, and hopefully I can enjoy the game in person and get, get a win before I head back to Orlando on Sunday night. Moving forward, we have um, the Packers playing the Falcons. Both teams came off big-time wins that helped push the Bears into the 1-2 position of the draft, Falcons beating the Panthers. Uh, what's your one more thing for this game? You know, the the deal with the defense for the Packers last year was you could run right at them. I don't know that the if the Bears ran right at them. I think they wanted to, but we know that the rate that the Falcons will. So that's what I'm looking for is does the run defense hold up by the Packers knowing that 
they're going to get 30 to 40 runs against them between Algier and Bijan. That's a good point. The Packers pass rush looked great in the second half running downhill. Like your, your talk was they were built to play from ahead. So that's a really good question. Um, I'm curious to see, can uh, Jordan Love continue to look good? Because the Falcons, you know, they had a good, de- their defense looked good against uh, Bryce Young. And this is, uh, you know, Jordan Love's second game of the season. He's still a young quarterback. And uh, I'm looking to see who's legit because both the Packers and the Falcons, I could think, see as dark horses to win their divisions. And I think depending on the outcome, we're going to see a lot, we're going to hear a lot about what's going on here, you know. It may not end Underrated. the season that way, but right now you have to have the Packers as the second best team in the division at worst. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I re- I feel like look, the the number one receiver for Carolina last year or last week, I'm sorry, was their tight end, Hayden Hurst. So if that happens again this week with the the Packers, who is that's not who they want to throw to first with all those young receivers, mm-hmm. then I would say the Falcons are going to do very well. But I really feel like the Packers are going to win this game. I, I think even without Watson, Dubs, and uh, Jaden Reed look pretty good. <laughs> a lot better than anything we saw from Carolina. So I'm picking the Packers to win also. That brings us to our next matchup in AFC North tilt. The Bengals and the Ravens, both teams coming off of, well, the Bengals, a physical loss with the loss in the last game. The Ravens, nursing some serious injuries that some of which are you know we talked about despite so, a big win over despite the a big win over houston yes where they did not look great but you know all those injuries that they had including along the offensive line and mark andrews was out that might have had something to do with it mm-hmm. so basically what i'm looking for here is i'm checking joe burrow for a pulse <laughs> yeah uh i want to see if t higgins exists um, if he can catch he a didn't pass last week, he had zero receptions. Really, what I want to see is how the Ravens' geriatric and banged-up defensive backs held up against the Bengals' uh, wide receivers. I think That's that this matchup. is uh, these receivers with Burrow is a big difference between Nico Collins and Noah Brown and a rookie quarterback. And uh, I, I know I'm going against recency bias. I'm picking the Bengals to uh, get right and beat the Ravens, despite the Ravens' big victory and the Bengals' big loss. Yeah, uh, that's really tempting. I realistically, I think that's going to happen. Also, but this, you know, the Ravens just have a way to win games in the N- in the AFC North. Um, mm-hmm. Can they match up with? The Bengals probably not unless Mark Andrews plays and they get, you know, some good news along the offensive line with some of those guys that are banged up. But, you know, this is this looks like it could be the third straight Ravens year that's going to go down the tubes because of injuries if they're not careful. I will add to this, though, if you flip the matchups, the uh, Bengals lost their safety. So can they contain Zay Flowers, especially if uh, Andrews is back? Zay Flowers looked good in his first game as a rookie. I think I'll, I mean, I think I'll probably take the Ravens here just until I see the Bengals actually get up to speed. That's the dangerous part is I don't know when the Bengals will come. Is it week two or week three? But or uh, what? Yeah. Yeah. All right. On to um, the big one for you. 
This is the one I'm Lions, licking my chops for. Lions home opener coming off the 10 days of celebrating, knocking off the defending Super Bowl champion Chiefs. Seattle, the home of the 12th, fa- 12th man with his loud stadium, it might find out that the Lions fans in their dome might be the loudest fan base after six years of pent up wanting to win and hope and frustration being crushed, hope being crushed. And the bank six lot, years try. Oh, I said 60. Oh, I meant to say 60, <laughs> six yeah. decades. Um, yeah. So um, what are you looking for with the Seahawks versus the Lions this week? I'm looking for the number of false starts on the Seahawks because oh. Because they've got both of their tackles probably out for the game. The Lions fans are through the roof right now with how happy they are. They were selling out preseason games and cheering like it was the regular season. I'm not going to lie. So you better bring your noise-canceling headphones to Ford Field. And to me, this is a game the Lions are going to win comfortably. I mean, it's to me, it's just a matter of how much. Are they going to cover or not? Well, so I, I love that you said false starts because you combined two things that I was thinking about and I couldn't decide. I was going to say how good Aiden Hutchinson does against the backup tackle and how loud to the decibel level get. Can they break the records that went back and forth between Kansas City, ironically, and Seattle? So I think the Lions will be looking forward to beating them and taking the decibel levels from both of those or decibel level records from both of those franchises. Um, but yeah, so I, I do look forward to seeing how Hutchinson does against this offensive line because he looked great last week at terrorizing Mahomes. I, I actually sent a text to my buddy last week saying that Mahomes offense looked like the Bears last year where Mahomes was just on the run under pressure and nobody was getting open. And I think that says a lot about the Lions defensive improvements. So I'm going to go with that. That being said, the wide receivers for the Seahawks, D uh DK all day, <laughs> lock it if he's healthy. JSN. Jackson Smith Jigba are a lot higher caliber than what we got from uh from Kansas City but at the yeah. same time Geno Smith ain't exactly Pat Mahomes. Yeah, exactly. I mean Geno Smith is going to get brutalized if he gets You, that t- much you were talking pressure. earlier about the uh, Pro Football Focus looking at quality yeah. throws that are actually intercepted versus you yeah. know, bad throws where some where nothing bad happens mm-hmm. and Geno Smith last year actually led the league in throws that should have gotten picked and weren't. So he had a lot of luck bounce his way last year to get those numbers. I got to say, this is a big game for you because you in the preseason predicted Geno Smith was going to be one of the worst. And he looked bad last week. And the Rams were supposed to be one of the worst defenses outside of Aaron Donald. Uh, Geno Smith, by the way, way. Geno Smith was a sub 60 PFF grade in case you're wondering last week. So, uh, yeah, that could get ugly against the defensive line. And uh, everything is going south. This is... I am as comfortable picking this game as any of them. And I, will I cannot also take normally the say that for the Lions. Yep. I will also take the, li- uh, the Lions for this game. Yeah. Finishing so, off the early games, uh, we have the Colts looking to build off of their you know, quality loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars. This time they've got the Texans, which is a team that on paper most people have as being much more beatable. Do you see a different result this week? So what I'm looking for is, this is a cop-out, 
But the two rookies, we had the second overall pick and the fourth overall pick, both playing day one starters. We got CJ Stroud versus Anthony Richardson. And I'm curious to see who does better. Um, you know, now that since I pulled up the PFF grades, uh, <laughs> you know, I talked about Geno Smith being 59.2. He was the 20th best. CJ Stroud was 55 in his first game, but I thought he had some moments. Uh, Anthony Richardson was a 49 grade. So they both have a lot of room to improve. I will say that. That being said, Joe Burrow was 43 and Daniel Jones was 41. So, and Ooh. Bryce Young, Bryce Young was 31. So, uh, don't don't take this as hating on these rookies. They is their first game, and uh, it'll be interesting because I think this is going to matter for the AFC South for the future. You know, this could be a future rivalry. You know, two young quarterbacks, and I'm I'm looking to see who can progress: Anthony Richardson or C.J. Stroud or both. Yeah, I am actually going to look at the Colts' defense here. Because I want to see with the we kind of expected the Colts to, you know, not really be all that competitive in game one, but they were, but they were because they were getting big plays defensively. Thank you very much, Tank Bigsby. That's probably not going to happen. So we're going to get, I think, a more accurate picture of what the Colts defense can do against a in a competitive game environment. And I'm very fascinated to see if the Texans are moving up and down or if the Colts are slamming the door or where we are in between. Yeah. Um, I think, I, Oh, go on. Go ahead. I was just going to make my pick. Uh, do you want to finish your thought? No, that was my thought. I was basically going to say, I think I'm going to pick the Colts here because I feel like they just have a more complete team than the Texans right now, who are in year one of pretty much a total rebuild. Uh, I'm going to take the Texans because I think the exact opposite where I think the the Colts are year one of a major rebuild. And I think the Texans have uh, the uh, good pass rusher. Uh, Anderson was pretty good, but I guess they don't have Pittman. It's main difference. I think either way, I think it'll be interesting. It'll be a fun game to watch. And it'll, it said nobody ever, yeah. but either I one to it. Yeah. Neither one's a complete team. But, They're both very bad teams, but I'm trying to, you have me thought I, I, I'm still sticking with my guns, but I had to think about the talent overall and why I think the Texans, I was thinking purely on their two rookies. And then I'm thinking yet yeah, Richardson versus Pittman. And I can't really think of else. I may mean, ask Pierce over that terrible running back that played Deion Jackson was not good. So yeah, I, I don't the, know, Colts, not, the Colts need serious help all over the place. On the skill positions. They Yeah, they have a desperate need for Jonathan Taylor on this team, and we've gone up and down on that, and we're not going to hit it again here. But um, I feel like the Colts' defense still has a lot of pieces from when they thought they were going to be a division team, and I think their offensive line still has a lot of those same pieces, which uh, is see, why I'm on them. I'm actually going the opposite. I thought this is where you were going with the defense on the Colts, that a lot of those turnovers were basically just miscues by Bigsby, and that might not happen this way, and then they, well, they were the extra. But yeah, they were so, also playing a much better team, which I expected the yeah. Jaguars to put up a bunch of points. Well, so now that's one of the I, reasons why I'm so into this is because I want to see, am I overestimating here, which I very well could be, yeah. or what's going to happen? I guess my take on it was the Colts-Jags felt like a college game where Alabama didn't take the opponent seriously in the first half and then took them seriously at the end and ran away with the game. And that's kind of how I felt. The Jags yeah, took, they I didn't take them seriously. And then they got punched in the face and then they're like, oh, we got to rebound. And then they kind of rallied in the second half. Um, so that that's kind of my take, but that's a good thing to watch for. 
since that's the segment, one more thing, <laughs> two more yep. things. We one more, more thing. Yeah. The last one more thing is the last game of the week. And that is the Browns versus the Steelers on Monday night. What a fantastic Mon- rivalry to end the week. Monday night double header with the Saints Panthers is the first game and the Browns Steelers finishing off. I'm glad that we're the final. Keep on. Sorry about that. Yep. So the Browns and the Steelers, which we already talked that I'm a little bit scared for Pickett here against the Browns uh, defensive front. This could be an ugly start, although you know that Tomlin is going to be hide the hide the kids hide the wife levels of kicking butt in practice this week yeah so what's Um, what are you looking for what's your one more thing i'm in this case i'm looking for what watson does against the steelers defense because the you know cody um brock brock purdy because brock purdy he you know, they got weapons all over the field. He had Christian McCaffrey running free. Basically, all he's got to do is stand in the pocket and throw. And I really do feel like at some point, teams are going to figure him out. Mm-hmm. Um, I it, He's either going to turn into a pumpkin or he's going to turn into Tom Brady. And right now, I'm on Team Pumpkin with, with, with Purdy. But what's going on with Watson? Is he really going to be bad all year? We know the Steelers' defense can be good. We know they've had very nice uh, plays in the preseason, but then again, so did Cody Pickett. So I really want to see where the reality is with the Steelers' defense versus the Deshaun Watson quarterback play and see if he continues to make throws or if the Steelers make plays or what's going to happen here. So um, I strategically wanted you to go first because that was one of my one more things I could have gone with. The other one is I want to see if Kenny Pickett can rally and do better against an equally scary front with Miles Garrett coming at him instead of Nick Bosa. Um, can he adjust and do better than he did last week, or is he going to fall apart? Um, to be honest, both quarterbacks and how they handle TJ Watt and Garrett, I think it's going to define a lot going forward because TJ Watt and Miles Garrett aren't going away from this rivalry, and these guys are going to have to be used to this. We're going to have to; they're going to have to be used to trying to win ugly games. Um, I am going to pick this, the uh, Browns to win. I think that um, without Deontay Johnson, I think they have a more complete receiver core. And uh, Nick Chubb is the best running back in, the, in there. And I think the secondary is really good for the uh, Browns too. Yeah, I, I feel like the Browns right now are what the Steelers want to be. The only question that I have that might equalize this is the Steeler pass rush thanks to the Browns defense without um, Jack Conklin, but line, yeah. I don't, yeah, but I don't think that that, if that overwhelms all of the other areas of the, of the roster where the Browns are better, basically, unless, like I said, with Chicago, unless the quarterback comes out and loses the game. But that's all the time we've got for uh, Midwest Football Podcast this week. If you've got something you think we should watch for, or you just think we're idiots and want to tell us about it, send your email to MidwestFootballPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening to us this week. As We uh, we appreciate it this week, as we do every week that you choose to spend some of your time with us. We want to thank Raymond for his uh, 
intro and outro music listen for his album wherever uh digital music is sold thank you to chris brandley for all of our logos and one more time give us a five-star review recommend us to your friends talk to us do all those things that can help us make the show bigger and better for you going forward but right now it is time to take it into the locker room for the fifth quarter we will see you later I miss you already.